This is the Catholic Wire. I'll have to say why the ladies come here. Uh, I did it again. I did not give the ladies enough time for breakfast, so it's <laughs> my fault. I should have said 10.30. I should have known that already. Yeah, no, it, no it's fine. I, I really was late myself. Uh, but, you know, while, while they come, something that I wanted to mention for the mothers out there watching, the reason why we're live streaming is because that way, if you don't have the confraternity of Christian mothers, at home, or if you are by yourself, you know, there are some parishes where they have, it's a mission parish, so the priest is not there on, on this day. So the point of live streaming is that you can get together with the other moms, make the whole prayers, make the whole meeting of the confraternity of Christian mothers, and use these talks as the talk that you would receive if you were in a parish with a priest. So that's the whole point of making the live streaming if you're able to join. So we will begin shortly, in about a few seconds. Was there more people down there? Okay. Um, I don't even know if we have them there. Do we have them there? I think that's what I was going to add. See, that's <laughs> here. This is where we begin, in the page 13. Page 13. Right where you have the, the music, that's where we begin. And if you're interested in the booklets, uh, you can send me an email at frcarlosepeda at gmail.com. And uh, just let me know what your address is, and I'll send you a booklet. It's $100 a piece. I'm just kidding, that's not true. Uh, no, I'll send, I'll just let me know and I'll send you the booklets. Are we all ready to begin? Yes. Yes, we can go ahead. Okay. We're live streaming, you know. I'm sure. I'll be here when we started. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Um, we'll go ahead and begin our prayers. And so we can just kneel down towards the cross. If you can kneel, if you don't have room, that's fine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, Creator blessed, and in our hearts take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid To fill the hearts which thou hast made To fill the hearts which 
which thou hast made. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful. We fly to thy patronage, O Holy Mother of God. Despise not our petitions in our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Let us pray, all. Almighty and eternal God, our Lord and Heavenly Father, behold us assembled before thy throne of mercy, for the greater glory of thy divine majesty. Shed upon our hearts thy light and truth, that we may duly understand and appreciate the high duties of our vocation as Christian mothers. Give us not only light to know, but strength to fulfill to the end thy divine decrees. Grant that we thus may lead to eternal life, the souls of our children as well as our own. These we implore of thee through Christ thy Son, the friend of children, through his bitter sufferings and death, and through the merits of all our holy patrons. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. I need to write only a thing here in the board, actually. And the markers are back there. Would you mind throwing one at me? Just to <laughs> give a... <laughs> oh, to me. There you go. Yes. We're giving an example of manners here. <clears throat> Today... I'm not sure if today is going to be like the best talk ever. It's going to be a bit, a bit uh, intellectual, maybe abstract. We had talked in that talk about correction. We had talked about maybe correcting the will of the child. Remember that in our soul we have three faculties. One memory, which I would call also conscience. Uh, the other one is intellect, our mind. And the other one is our will. So the last, not the last, but you know, the last class we talked about these topics we were covering mostly the will. How do you train the will? That's going to come back and forth in different, in different lessons. But today I want to talk about how we train the mind. And it's, we're going to go very broad. I'm not going to go into very much of the specifics. But I do want to give you like the whole aspect of the mind that we need to take care of. Now, I know that some of you, you know, you might not be raising small children anymore. You might have grown up children. I think this is still very good information to have. Why? Because as I will mention here, these are conversations that you want to have, you know, with your grown-up children and talk about those things. And your grandchildren can also hear these conversations. You don't have any more the position, you could say, of, of going in there and, and correcting them. But you having the conversation with your child will make your grandchild listen to them. We'll go into that into detail a little bit more. First, in the human being, I'll draw a human being here, supposedly. Uh, let's say that's a guy or whatever. Okay, poor person. But <laughs> that was such an honest laugh. Okay, in the human being, you're going to have then the intellect and the will, right? A question might come. Which one is more important? And it's actually, this is something that theologians have discussed. There's an actual debate in theologians, like a big one, about what's more important, the intellect of the, or the will. And I'm going to go in the middle term here. Uh, don't call me a heretic just yet. <laughs> but uh, I think they're both important because they're actually sim simultaneous. You know, it's not like the mind works by itself and the will then works. 
They're, they're always working simultaneously. You will what you think. And to think, you have to will. You have to move your, your thought with your will. So in a certain way, every action that you do works with both of them. <clears throat> Why is this important for you right now? Because if I have a clouded, a clouded or wrong intellect, that's going to affect my will and vice versa. If I, for example, am given to sins, let's say sins of impurity, my, my sins are going to, I'm going to sin and then my conscience is going to bother me and my conscience is going to be telling me you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. And because I don't like that, I'm going to start justifying myself and I'm going to say, well, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe this is normal. Maybe this, maybe that, that, that. And so my dark intellect, my, excuse me, my dark will, my evil desires are going to start kind of like overflowing to my mind. And that's how you can explain, for example, what's happening right now where people that are given to those kinds of sins come to the point of believing that they are true, that they are uh, right. <clears throat> this is something that you learn in every book of theology. We're studying that right now with our class of, of uh, Catholic morality with the students. Your will will cloud and darken your intellect. The same works the other way around. If I have an error or some, of something, that's going to move my will to evil things. So, for example, if a person has not been raised Catholic, if they don't know what's right and what's wrong, um, eventually those errors of the intellect are going to affect their will, and they'll start wanting bad things. You can see this very clearly right now, uh, in how sometimes we see education fails. Uh, we, we might see, for example, a child that went to Catholic school, and then they leave the faith. Or you might see... Uh, people that were raised Catholic, and they leave the faith, and the question is why? You know, and some people even say, they knew their catechism, they know all this stuff, they know everything, they talk to the priest so often, blah, 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 blah. And the thing is, yes, the intellect was there, but the will may be like the training. Now here, I'll pause and I'll make the same, the same statement that I always make. Children have a will of their own. We as parents might do everything that we can. We might do all our job right, and they still might make the decision, the poor decision of abandoning the faith or going the wrong way. It's not our fault. Uh, but this is important to know. Sometimes that was what was missing. On the other class, we were mentioning about habits. And for example, I can teach the ch child the catechism, and I can be very good at teaching him the catechism, and he knows everything, but I never teach him to deny himself, to say prayers on his own, to uh, be responsible with his homework, to control his passions. I never, I never handled the will, and so the education was only halfway there. And that's why it will collapse, or it's easier for it to collapse. So that's, that's why I'm going to keep coming back to that, to always trying to work with both. Here, while I'm on this topic, there is something that is very important there's a lot of people that don't have Catholic schools. We have Catholic school here, thankfully. And, you know, throughout America, there is some Catholic schools. And I just discovered a great use for the board. It actually gives you time to think what you're about to say. I like that. <laughs> I want to make a parenthesis here so that you know how blessed we are in America and how it's, how it's important actually to fight for our blessings. 
Uh, in Mexico, you don't have Catholic schools. It's forbidden to have religious schools, not only Catholic. It's forbidden to have any sort of religious school. You can't name your school St. Joseph, St. Mary, nothing. It's, the government won't allow you. So there is, a, there is a couple people in there that I know that have a school and they make it Catholic. But to the government, they have to name the school Leonardo da Vinci. And so the school is named something else. But then they have a big sign, St. Joseph. So they probably have to give a little bit of a, a help to the person that comes and checks for that. But uh, it's forbidden. You can't have it. In Mexico, you can have a homosexual teaching classes, which they actually do. You can't have a priest. It's forbidden to have the priest teaching classes in Mexico. They'll close your school if they know that you're having a priest or a sister teaching class. That's a huge blessing that we have here in America, and we should be thankful for that. That parenthesis being said, a lot of times we might send our ch child to Catholic school and think that's enough because he's receiving there everything that they need, right? They're teaching them the catechism, they're teaching them everything. They're handling the intellect. The question is, can they handle the will? And the answer to that is no or very partially. Why? Because here in school, the child does what everybody does. And so he, he doesn't have a choice. Where you handle the will is at home. That's where they learn their habits. And so it's very important as a parent to not be thinking, okay, they're in Catholic school, so I don't have to worry about them. No, when they come home, now is your turn. And now is where you have to start getting good habits in there. What do I mean, for example? The habit, and this is a conversation I've been having with some of the parents. The habit of saying, okay, now is the time for homework, you sit down and you do your homework. You know, now is the time to clean your room, you sit down and you do your room. Now is the time to say your prayers, you go and say your prayers. I'm not going to force you. you, I want to see you do it. do it. And then the next day I want to check that you're doing it. And so rather than telling him, you got to sit down and do it here, and I'm going to say the prayers loudly, Hail Mary, full of grace, while you're over here in the, I'm going to make it very graphical, sorry. While you're there in the bed, just going, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. What's happening there is that the intellect, excuse me, the will, is not being trained. And that's how you can explain when that happens. That is a graphical example that I have seen. <laughs> I won't say where, but I have seen. No, nowhere here in the parish, nowhere in the family that I knew as a priest. Okay. If that's the case with Catholic school, that I still have to worry. Not worry. I still have to work, I would say. What will be the case with public school? I don't need to tell you this stuff, you know, as much as I do, you probably follow the same things that I follow. I hate that. That's a new, that's a new expression. That we should not use that. You probably listen to the same things that I listen to. Um, public school right now is terrible. It was terrible in my time already. I went to public school all my life. And I remember, just to give a few horror stories, and if there's any underage people listening right now for some reason, uh, get them out of the room. From... Seventh grade to eighth grade in my public school, there were like four or five girls that didn't come anymore. Like they, they just, they stopped coming. And the reason was because they were pregnant. From seventh to eighth grade in public school, and this is in the 1990s. In Mexico, 
in Mexico that in my time, Mexico was conservative. You know, in my time, Mexico was like, we would wish we had that right now. In my public school, I remember uh, in also in middle school, we had a teacher that was kind of funny. He was the arts teacher that told you everything. And I remember he would put these movies to us. And at the time, you know, I was young and, and innocent to a certain extent. And so I, I saw the movies and I was like, what the heck is this? You know, what's, what is that about? I don't understand. Later on, I found out they were not, you know, they were like art movies, quote unquote. But they were movies designed so that he could see which students are being, you know, moved by them. And that way he can actually go and hit them. And only now, only, I only realized that when I was 20 years old, 30 years old, that I look back and I think, oh, this guy was doing that. This was a horrible teacher, a horrible guy that was doing these things. This is, again, Mexico, 1990s already. Um, I don't want to go too much into this, but here in America, you know, I don't know if you have seen the program that they use in California. In California, the programs that they used are explicit. It's so explicit, so explicit that I can't even say it here with adults. It's that bad, like that obscene, with graphics and everything. You know, sex ed in California is just beyond any measure. And that's going everywhere in the country. Now, people think sometimes, and this is, I've seen this, I've heard this. People tell me, I know the teachers, you know, it's in a very conservative state. You know, uh, they're all very good teachers. And then you find out all this stuff was going on. Uh, because the thing is, all of those schools have to come, all the teachers that work in public schools have to be part of the union. And to be part of the union, you have to be a communist. And I'm not saying that just guessing it. It's, I know a teacher that was kicked out of school because he, she was against communism. And very clearly, very explicitly, they kicked her out and they blacklisted her. In no school will they hire her because they know she's against communism. Anywhere. And so if, you, if you're a teacher in public school, you either have to lie and, you know, lay on the ground, or you are pretty much a communist. So public schools right now really are out of, out of the question, I think. This is something for those watching in there, you know, consult with your priest about it if that's an issue for you. But the point that I want to make right now is, if here we're not handling the will as much as we would want to, you know, in a Catholic school, of course you want to, you try as much as you can, but you don't have that much time. In public school, both the intellect and the will are just not there. You have wrong doctrines, and you have bad habits. This is, this is going to bounce back to us in 20 years. I mean, right now you're already seeing that you go to places and you see employees, and the employees are totally careless, they don't care about anything, they are useless, and that's the generation that is coming up. I mean, we're going to have a generation of uh, Bolsheviks, you know, of Russian criminals, basically. And that's why they're doing it. But enough of the frightening things right now. <laughs> the point to be made is, in public school, there's just none of that. In Catholic school, you still have to worry about the will. Now, today, then, I promised that we were going to talk about the intellect and how do we train that. Before I go into some specifics, there are actually certain different aspects of the mind that we need to see. The first one is the ability to reason 
and to focus. That's one thing that we want to foster in our child. A lot of these things might seem very logical to you, like, you know, like, well, that, yeah, that's for sure. Before, that wasn't an issue. You know, before the technology and all that stuff, that wasn't something you needed to worry about because it's just something that comes up with life. Now we actually have to worry about it because there is an opposing force stopping this from happening. So this is one faculty that we need to develop, reasoning and focus. The other one is memory. The other one is the imagination. And I will add here what we call species in philosophy. I'll explain that. And finally, what I call emotional intelligence. Feel free to take notes if you want to, but you know, this video is going to be out there anyways. These are the four aspects that we need to foster in our child. And actually, each one of these requires a specific effort, something specific that we need to do. I, I was saying that um, right now we have to focus and actually study these things when, before we didn't. And that's because we have a lot of obstacles against it. There are three main obstacles, I think. And the one is one that you'll always hear me say, and I'll repeat it again, and I'll put it in my gravestone. I'll, I'll put it in there. Take the phones away. <laughs> I was thinking, you know how for Our Lady of Guadalupe, we might have piñatas. And I was thinking, I'm going to get phones. I'm going to get <laughs> a big, big phone piñata that the kids have to break. OK. The first obstacle is going to be technology, and because I'm going to rant about it. I'm going to leave it here for later. The second aspect, uh, obstacle is what I call the time frame. I'll explain that too. And the third obstacle, I'll call it worldly opposition. Let's go from the third one to the last. Worldly opposition, by that I mean you tell your child the truth, you teach him the faith, you teach him what is right, but the world, he has, he, so you, teal, you tell him that at home, and then he's going to go out into the world and 30 million people are going to tell him the opposite of what you just said. So that's what I call worldly opposition. It's an obstacle to his intellect to know the truth. Here, there are two things that you want to, you want to do. One is... I need more room here. One will be to open his heart to you or her heart. In other words, make sure that she listens or he listens. That's an ear, by the way. And the other one, which I read, wrote down here, is to give him critical thinking. Any questions so far? No? Okay. I hope I'm not going too fast. What do I mean by open his heart? St. John Bosco did something with his children. He had 400 of them. That was very interesting. He would say, if you're a teacher and you go and teach classes, and then when they go out to recess, you say, okay, now is my break. Let them be out there, and I'm going to be here. And when they come back, then I'll deal with them again. If you do that, they'll never listen to you, he says, because their hearts are close to you. You are nothing but an authority and an obnoxious authority for that. 
So St. John Bosco would say, you have to go out and play with them. You have to be with them in the stuff that they care about so that they know that you love them. That's how they understand that you love them, if you're there with, with the stuff that they care. And then when you come and correct them, they know, oh, it's not that he hates me, it's that he actually wants to tell me what's good. And there, he had visions, and John Bosco had visions once he, how was this? I think he had a vision of how the future was going to be, and he wrote it down. And in his vision, he saw the teachers doing that. He would see the teachers teaching them and then just leaving the children to play by themselves. And, and he said that. He said the teachers would hate, excuse me, the students would hate the teachers because they were not there playing with them. I actually put this in practice when I was in the border house in, in helping Father Selner, and he does it as well. And I realized that is absolutely true. As painful as it is, as difficult as it is to go out and play with the children, especially, you know, there are times where you can relate. There are times where you feel like all your bones are broken and just like you're made of wicker and <laughs> you're trying to wake up and you're almost like a, like a puppet or something. And you're like, I just want to sleep right now. And, <laughs> and at that time, you know, they are going out to play because they have the energy. And you say, well, I'm going to go out there and play with them. Uh, and that actually opens their hearts because they, they know that that's costing you and they see that you're caring for them. And so when you come back and say, even if you yell at them, they'll take it well because they'll be like, okay, I know that you play with me. I know that you have fun with me. I know that you don't hate me. So, okay, I'll listen. That doesn't mean that they're going to change one day from another. Don't make that false illusion. Of course not. You know, they're still teenagers if they are. But, uh, but at least... <laughs> The heart is open, and they'll listen. So this is one thing that you want to make sure. If you have their heart, even if there is three million people out there telling him the opposite, you have their heart, so you'll be able to talk to them. Um, I've given you the example of my mother. The other time that we were talking of how I would tell everything to my mother. My mother made that very... Uh, she had that success, you could say, that she actually had my heart. She knew that I knew that I could talk to her and that she would always be there for me, and that was very useful. So that, this is the first thing that you need to worry about if you want to face worldly opposition. The other one is critical thinking, and this is actually a very important part. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> it's a very good thing, and you ought to do it, to shelter your child for a while from the world especially when they're younger. You know, if they're, they're children, they don't need to know anything about all the stuff that's going on out there. They don't need to know all the bad stuff. Fill them with good things. Fill them with virtue. Fill them with good examples. Fill them with family life, if you can. Do that during the first years. A moment comes where that shelter forcibly has to be broken, where they have to be exposed to the world. You don't have to do it. I, I don't think that you have to do that. I don't think that you have to say, well, I'm going to expose my child now. I'm going to send them over to, you know, downtown LA or downtown Denver. No, don't do that, obviously. You might not see him back. <laughs> but <laughs> he might be in Mexico or China in a couple of weeks. Um, no, you don't need to expose them willingly. The providence tells you when you need to expose them or where they have been exposed. The providence tells you because it comes to a point where, for example, you realize, oh, he needs sports. Ah, well, I have to do something to try to get him into sports. 
not because sports are important, but because I realize he has too much energy and I just have no way here to supply for that. Or she needs friends, and well, I have to have friends for her, and I have to try to find friends and here and there. And so their providence starts telling you when it's time to expose them. But the important thing is, as, as this happens, you have to teach them how to judge the world, how to make their own judgments. Here's one that I wanted to mention. Remember, I was telling you that it's good to have conversations. This is very, very important. The best way to start exposing your children to the world and to criticize and judge the world in a good way, I mean, is by home conversations. And I would almost call it good eavesdropping. Is that how you say it, eavesdropping? That's, I wonder where that word comes from. We'll call it good eavesdropping, meaning you want your child to be eavesdropping on that conversation. And here's what I mean by that. You'll have a table of adults, and you're discussing politics, or you're discussing religion, or something, and a lot of adults say, oh, get out of the room. You know, this is not for you. You're too young for this. If it's a little child, of course, yeah, that's the case. Once they're getting... 13, 14, 15 years old, and they start understanding, no, have them eavesdrop on the conversation. Have them around so that they can listen to. And you want to have those serious conversations, you know, with your other Catholic friends, get them in at home and talk about things and allow your children to listen to it. The benefits that come from that are huge. To give you one or a few, one is they realize they are part of a culture they realize it's not that my mother is crazy or that, you know, or that my dad is crazy. There's actually a bunch of people that think about this. And usually for a child, it's a lot easier, truth be told, it's a lot easier to respect someone else than one's parents because you live with your parents. So when they hear other people talking about these things, they realize I'm part of this group. And so they start assimilating those judgments. They also start learning about what to respond, what are the reasons for and against, and they get exposed without danger of sin. Because if I'm at the table and we're all talking and I have my 14-year-old, my 15-year-old, and we're talking about the LGBT ideology, that's not an occasion for sin for them. They're not going to picture anything unless someone is doing something very explicit, which I hope that would not be the case. But most of the times the conversation doesn't go into anything explicit. They just get the concepts that they can grasp, and whatever they don't understand doesn't affect them. I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make sense? So that, that is a very safe way to expose them, to be exposed to those things. And they make a judgment on the things without being explicitly exposed to them. And that's very, very useful. I can tell you that again. I had that benefit with my father. My father would have this huge theological arguments and political arguments, and I would not understand a beep of what he was saying, but I'd be like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Um, I don't know if I told you this story, but he, he would, when he was very angry at us, he would call us Bolsheviks. <laughs> <laughs> he would be like, you Bolsheviks, you know, how come you broke this thing and whatever? And we'd be like, oh, that sounds really important, you know? <laughs> he didn't know what it was. But it just made us sound like, oh, uh, we made something very important today. Um, so this kind of exposure is very, very good. Whole conversations. Um, for here, 
and this is something I'm bringing up to the parent, to the fathers, to the fathers group. That's why it's so important to be well read, and to know your stuff, and to be able to explain things so that you can have intelligent conversations. And at one point, you want to have those with your child as well. Most of the times, you as a father or mother, you don't grab your teenage daughter and say, "Let's go out for coffee and we'll talk about politics." <laughs> She'll be like, "Oh, mom, right now? Come on, are you kidding me?" So, of course, that doesn't happen. But but it's a good thing if you do. It's a good thing if you do. You know, let's go out for coffee and we'll have a, an adult conversation. And the first couple of times she'll be disappointed, you know, when she brings up TikTok or whatever else. I hope not. But you know, whatever else things that teenagers have right now. But little by little, have patience. Little by little, have patience and try to bring bring her or him to that mindset. Now, there's another one here. So we were talking about home conversations. Another means for this is be a teacher. This I want to emphasize. Have the attitude of a teacher. Most of the times, you know, because we're humble or because we have been raised in a very, very humble and modest sort of life, we tend not to see ourselves and not to act as teachers to our children. You think that that's not your place for some reason. And that's totally wrong. You are a teacher for your child and you should... Did you ever see... Uh, I'm sorry about this. Uh, hopefully this doesn't become a scandal. Did you ever see the movie Karate Kid? <laughs> Raise your hands if you did. Okay, you're all excommunicated. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that movie touched a fiber in teenagers because teenagers crave for masters. They crave for a teacher. And that was the beautiful thing of the movie. Everyone who saw that movie wanted, came out of the movie thinking, where is the Mr. Miyagi? I want to meet one, you know, so I can beat my friends up. But, but it's true that that was the nerve that it was touching, that you as a child, you want to find someone that you admire and that he can just be your mentor and that you can say, well, this is like the best friend I have. That movie was almost an illusion, but it's really, really nice. That's, that's what the children found in St. John Bosco. That's why they would follow him in crowds. I mean, he had thousands of children in his school, and they all worshipped him almost. I shouldn't say that word, but, you know, they all really liked him. And it was because they found that teacher, that mentor. And we as parents, most of the times, don't want to take that, that role. Why? It might be because we know that there is a big responsibility to it. You know, if I take that role, that means that I have to be perfect, that I have to be good, virtuous. And that's where I go like, ah... I don't think I can do that. But no, that, that's what we should do. I'll give you an example of these practical examples of how this works against the worldly opposition. You're driving, and there is a drug addict that comes and asks for money in the car. What do you do? You just say, no, forget about it. Your child is there, your daughter, your son, and you just drive along. You just wasted a great opportunity to teach something. If you had the attitude of a teacher, you would say that, you know, just dismiss the person and then say, See, that's what happens when people do drugs. You know, I'm sure this guy at some point was a, a fine person, and now we'll look at where he's at because he's doing drugs. You don't want to be too preach about it, especially if you already have, you know, some tension for, the, for some situation. Your child might go like, oh, come on, why are you dodging, and this and that. That's where you have to be, teach them to be respectful before. But you see what I mean? 
that's an opportunity to teach. If you have the, the position of Mr. Miyagi, then you would say, oh, daniel son, look, that's what happens when you do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so every single aspect in your life can be that. You know, if you go to Walmart, and in Walmart there is this grossly modest girl, and your, your daughter might see her, look at her, and, you know, she starts thinking, you know, wow, what if I dress like that, whatever. Most of the times, what do we do? We just get out of Walmart and run away and, and just are quiet, right? And what if you use that opportunity as a teacher? If you're Mr. Miyagi, you would say, look, uh, you know, did you see that, that girl? Yeah, when she was dressed like that. Yeah, did you notice how everyone was seeing her, looking at her? Well, no, I didn't. Well, I kind of noticed, you know, some people were looking at her. And you know how they were thinking of her? Well, I don't know what you mean. They were thinking of her like meat. You know, just like you, so you go and see meat and you get the meat for yourself, that's what they were thinking of her. Nobody cared about her feelings, nobody cared about who she was, who her parents were, nothing about her interiorly. She's just a piece of meat because that's how she's exposing herself. That's why we shouldn't dress like that. If you have a good relationship with your child, all those opportunities of being a teacher, you're going against the worldly opposition and you use those opportunities. I'll recommend not to do that very often. You know, you, and not, you don't have to do that every time that you see a drug dealer. Say, see, that's what you do. <laughs> no. Every now and then. But the point to be made is change your attitude from I'm no one to teach to rather I am a teacher. I am a Mr. Miyagi. Okay? Any questions so far? No? Okay. I'm not depressing you again, am I? No? Okay. <laughs> I'm concerned about this. Okay. So that was, whew, this talk might be, I thought this was going to be shorter. Okay, the other one is time frame. What do I mean by that? I'll try to make sure the rest of them. Time frame means who is getting more of your child? You have how much time with your child every day? Say 30 minutes, 40 minutes? How much television is he watching or she watching? Two hours, three hours, some cases not. But, you know, there's televisions, there is friends, there is public school if that's the case. So if you think of a normal child, not, not in here, but, you know, a normal child in the world, they go to public school for what, six hours, seven hours? Then they talk to their friends on, on chat or whatever for two, three hours. They watch TV for another two, three hours. That's almost like 10 hours. And then you're lucky if they talk to you for 15 minutes. And the time frame, what that means is, you're being vastly overrun, right? And, and he's being trained by, by TV. I'll tell you personal, well, too late now. <laughs> this, this happened to me, so this was at the time when, you know, TV was coming up and, you know, cartoons were being put and whatever. My mother had, I was the last child, so she was pretty busy. And at one point she would put me to, to watch Donald Duck you know, the cartoons from Donald Duck to, to entertain me while she was doing other stuff. This lasted for a few months. And one day my dad came to her very concerned and he said to her, you got to stop that. He cannot be watching that. He's becoming Donald Duck. <laughs> you know, like, I, I mean, you're, you would, he was concerned because he would come and talk to me and I would react with the same words from Donald Duck and the same, I would almost go with the thing like that. I don't know. I was too young. I don't remember what I was doing. But my dad told me that story, and he said, that's, that's what it is. So, time frame. You've got to see that the good influences are, time-wise, 
overcoming the bad influences. So they have more than that. And finally, technology. Oof, I, I promised this was going to be short. Uh, I'll try to make it as short as possible. Look at me here with a computer, with a <laughs> wireless microphone, uh, camera, broadcasting on YouTube. I know all about technology. I used to work in technology. I'm a, I'm a tech, I don't know if that's a proper word, I'm sorry if it's not, a tech freak. Okay? I know more than anybody else that I know of technology. I used to work in networking, I used to I do programming, I know everything. I know how Google works, I know how the Signal apps works, I know how the messaging apps work. Everything of that I can tell you. You could get a job. Huh? You could get a job. I could get a job. I had a really good one. <laughs> uh, actually, I could. So it's not like I'm opposed to technology just out of some mindset. I know what it does and I know how it works. Technology has, obviously, the part of the, the occasions of sin. The occasions of sin that are in, in technology right now are just beyond any comparison, and that's something we hopefully will deal with in the future. But the main problem with technology, when we're talking about the intellect of our child, technology puts you in a passive mode. What does that mean? When I'm studying, when I'm reading, when I'm doing arts, we've talked about this in another class, my mind is emitting things, my mind is working, just like a muscle. When I'm watching something, playing video games, watching a movie, listening to music even, my mind is set to a passive mode. Receive everything and don't act. The problems with that first here is going to be... I'll erase this. I don't think most of you can even read over here, but... Can you read over here if I'm writing here? Yeah. Well, at any rate, it gives me time to think of what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> The first problem with that is that the mind is a muscle. You know, raise your hands if you know how the brain cells work. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, I'm sure you do. The brain cells work by relating to one another. You have a brain cell here, and it creates connections to other brain cells. And that's how you become a smarter person. That's how you become, uh, you train your mind to think better, by those connections that the brain cells do. Those connections are made by your mind being in an active mode. That's why school sometimes, even though the actions that they do in school are like, what's the point of this? Uh, the point is that your brain cells are creating relations. The more than a child is exposed to a screen, the more than he is in front of the cell phone or, or the, the computer, those connections here start becoming dead. They're actual physical connections. So they actually start dying, just like any muscle. If you don't use your muscles, you, your muscles start waving down. The same thing happens here. So just from the, from the natural aspect of it, your child should not be in front of screens for a long time, because that's what's going to happen. You see it right now. I mean, when you look at yourselves when you were teenagers, and how, how inventive you were, and how you know, willing you were to read, to learn, I could come up with stories. I was writing novels when I was 16 years old. Uh, not a full novel, but I was trying to. Uh, and now a child, I'm, I'm, this really concerns me because I'll tell the children in school sometimes, write for me a short story, just one page, a short story. Nothing comes up. They can copy, 
you know, if you give them the concept, they can copy the concept and make a story based on that. But creative part, creative thinking is, uh, I don't know what the word in English is for that, but atrofiado is in, in Spanish. Atrophy. atrophy. There, there's atrophy in their brain. So that's a big problem with technology. From this comes also what, what is, I won't even write it down, the destruction of social skills, which you all know it, you see it, I don't have to tell you anything about that. You know, you see children that are totally, utterly unable to, to socialize. That is one huge blessing that we have in Catholic schools right now. Because you see the children here in, in Catholic schools and they socialize, they talk, they're laughing, they're enjoying themselves. And that's, that's a huge blessing. It's something that we should really, really appreciate it. Just a brief parenthesis here. That's why it's so important to support Catholic schools and try, try to make an effort to bring children into that. Because even if your children might not need it, which is the case a lot of times, you know, you're homeschooling and maybe your children don't need it. But that, that growth, that social growth is very, very important. So just very quickly, I'm just covering technology very quickly. Any questions so far? No? Do you have patience for like another 30 minutes? <laughs> yes, sure. Okay, 20, about 20. Let's make it 20, hopefully. I, it's just false promises. I'm <laughs> hypocrite. Okay. So we're going to go into imagination and species. In philosophy, you called species what you receive through your senses. For example, um, this book, its figure, is a species that comes to my mind through my senses. The picture that I see is a species that comes to my mind through my senses. The color, the weight that it has is a species. Uh, the sound of it, when he drops to the, to the table, is a species. All of those things are species. The way we should consider that is as this. All of these things are things that come into your brain and are engraved, so to speak, into your brain, into those brain cells that we were talking about. Why is this important? These things will remain in there, and they will forge your character and your tastes and your desires. I say this is important because a lot of times we say, with, let's say for example, I watch a movie and I see the movie and I think, well, it's not like the devil is in there, there's nothing in there that they're saying that it's a lie, you know, there's no nudity in the movie, so it should be fine, I think they can watch it. But the species, what's getting into their brain? What concepts are they receiving? What music are they listening to? What pictures are going to come in there? And those things are powerful. They're very, very powerful. I'll give you another example of my dad. Oh, poor of my father. All of these things are in video now. Well, I, <laughs> they did a really good job, okay? Uh, I remember when we were young, uh, we had, there was a lot of cartoons that were coming out. And, you know, that was a debate at that time, you know, whether if they should watch TV or not. And these cartoons were nothing wrong with them. Uh, you know, the good guys are battling against the bad guys. The bad guys are evil. They look like the devil and all that stuff. And the good guys always win. Uh, again, nothing immoral, nothing immodest in them. And my dad would forbid them to, to us. I think I've told you this story before, but I repeat myself. It's every month, so it's okay. Uh, and he would forbid them to us. And I remember vividly 
telling him, why do you forbid them to us? What's wrong with them? Is the good guys against the bad guys? And the bad guys are evil. There's, they even say there's like the devil. And he would say to us, basically this thing of the species, not like that, but what he said to us is this. The problem is, by looking at all these things, your mind is getting used to evil. Yes, the evil is being defeated, but you're watching it every day, every day and every day. And that has an effect on your mind. When you see kids today, they have a taste for the grotesque. They have a taste for ugliness. They have a taste for what is not aesthetic, for what is not beautiful. And that's precisely because their species, what they have been filled with, is that. And so their mind will turn towards that. So the point to be made here is a lot of times we think it's not a problem, but you have to see, okay, what, what's coming in there. For example, one time I, I was with some boys and they were listening to music. We would allow them to, to listen to music sometimes. We were trying to be careful with the music, but this, this time they were listening to music and I was up in my room and I was just listening to the, like the, it was like a hip hop type of deal. Raise your hands if you know what hip hop is. It's like, like the rap music, you know, where the guy's like, and it was supposed to be Christian rap. But I'm listening to the music up in my room in a low volume, and I'm stressed out already, just from three minutes of listening to it. And I was like, oh, that's why every time that I talk to them, they yell at me. You know, because I would go in and open the door, and it's, you guys, you have to go and, and clean up the leaves. Oh, why again? You know, typical teenager. Why? Because they are stressed out. They have been listening to that bad species for 30 minutes. So if you hear a guy screaming at you for 30 minutes, of course you're going to scream to the first guy that comes to mind. That applies, again, music, movies, pictures, friends, all that stuff. How do you battle that? <laughs> the first one is, uh, I'm going to raise this over here. The first way you avoid that is obviously by dismissal. Avoidance. Avoid. Imagine, imagine, imagines, images of sin. Avoid ugliness. The grotesque, all those things. Avoidance. Um, I'll give you a few more examples. Horror movies. A lot of people think, well, the horror movie, okay, there's, there's no nudity in it, there's nothing satanic on it, most of them now do. But, you know, it's just a horror movie, what's wrong with it? You know, it's just to make me scared. Look at all the pictures that you're putting in your mind. How can that not be sinful? If I'm watching a movie where people are being killed, and today the movies are horrible, I, I can take it. I, I, I've tried to watch, like, some parts of them, you know, because I, I wanted to see what the boys were watching. Uh, not, not while I'm a priest, but before. I'm not touching these things with a 10-foot pole. I mean, they're horrible. If you're watching a picture where people are getting killed and there's blood coming out and all that stuff, the pictures that you're putting in your mind are horrible. And that's sinful. Of course it is sinful. If I watch a movie of impure things, it's sinful. Even if I don't feel anything in it, it's sinful because I'm watching something that is evil. If I'm watching a picture where people are being killed, of course it's sinful as well. 
I'm not saying that all the action movies are sinful, you know, because there are action movies where, you know, they're trying to give you the picture of fighting a just war or something like that. But the point is, these images have to be done away with. Another, another example, and you knew we were going to touch this, Disney. You've heard about what happened with Disney and what the executive said recently, right? Raise your hands if you haven't. Oh, no, I haven't. Okay. So they, had, they, they leaked uh, uh, an, an online meeting with the top high executives of Disney. This is all over the internet now. And they say, we are not having enough LGBT characters in our movies. And so we're going to add, from now on, every, every content has to have so many characters, at least 50% of characters that are homosexual, because we have, we have a gay agenda. They said it, like there's a video and there's the, the leader of content, I think he was the executive leader of content in Disney. She says, I have two children who are pansexual. And so I have to, I have to provide for them more. If you're asking what the, what the heck is that, I, we don't even know. <laughs> I don't know if they know. <clears throat> children. Eight-year-old, seven-year-old, and she says that, like, yeah, we have children that are this and that. These are the people that are creating the content in Disney. So right now, Disney is also, for me, you know, not that I ever watched it when I was a priest, but, you know, I think people should just say, forget about it. We're not watching it anymore. But to give you an example of something very simple, the kissing, right, in the, in the movies. And I'm not being here super strict or anything like that, but... You see the princesses kiss, the princesses kiss, and the princesses kiss, and they kiss again, and that's the end of the movie, the happy end of the movie, kissing. <clears throat> Most of the times, children will have no problem with that, but the picture stays in there. And so when they get into a relationship, they know that happiness comes when you kiss, and when you kiss like that. And I had a, I had a really scary thing of this. I remember when I was younger, and there was this family that, that visited, and there was a little girl, she was like three years old. And, and the beautiful thing about the girl is that she kissed like the princesses in Disney. And he was like, oh, are you kidding me? She's three years old. And they're having her kiss everybody like the princesses in Disney because that's really nice. Do you think? I mean, it's just monstrous. But that happens with everyone. They get those pictures in their head. So the point we made is, is, is it that you should never watch Disney? No, the point we made, well, now, yes. But the point we made is all these things you have to be worried about, what you're getting in there. To give you a, a little interesting aspect about Disney. Walt Disney himself was probably a Mason, but he was against communism. So he was, during his lifetime, he was actually trying to uphold the nuclear family, at least to some extent. Because when he, when he started his company, communists infiltrated the company and started making strikes against Walt Disney. So at that moment, he realized what was going on. And that's when he started fighting communism. So up to the death of Walt Disney, you see the movies have some conservative taint to it. That this is, the last one was The Jungle Book. That was the last one that he supervised. After that, you start seeing Disney going down. So that's just you know quick thing. Another example of this would be Harry Potter. Uh, <clears throat> Any questions so far? No? Harry Potter. I, I, one needs to be honest and clear about things. You know, a lot of people say, like, oh, Harry Potter, this and that, and, you know, there's true spells in there. That's, I, don't, I haven't read the books. I'm just judging from the movies. Uh, the movies have no true spells in there. I mean, the, it's just Latin words, and Latin words usually mean 
nothing or something, you know, useless. The problem is not that. The problem is all the images that you're putting in your child's brain, especially witchcraft. And if you watch, don't watch it, but if you watch the movies of Harry Potter, it goes from, from bad to worse. It gets darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. The first movie is very childlike. The first movie you see it and it's all fantasy stuff and dragons and this and that. In the second movie, there, start, there starts being blood. And you know that a child opens a book and the book is speaking to the child and blah, blah, blah. The third movie, I don't remember, but by the third or fourth movie, there's a spell where someone cuts his hand and he says, okay, I'm going to put my hand here so that that brings back the Lord, the Dark Lord. That's what they call the villain. And that's pretty dark, if you ask me. And by the six, the, the last movies, there are spells where you, you're supposed to split your soul and the, the, the people that are evil split their soul and they put a part of their soul in things. That's very, very dark, if you ask me. So what's happening in there is what my dad was saying. They're making the child get used to evil, little by little, so when the time comes for witchcraft, you're perfectly ready to get into witchcraft. Okay. So that covers the part, this part of the imagination and the species. <clears throat> One part is avoidance, the other part is feeling with good things. When, when you're talking to your child, fill his mind with good species, with good music with good movies, with uh, good pictures. Teach them to appreciate beauty, to love beauty and to do it. That's why in, in the old schools, you would have a lot of arts and a lot of, of uh, creativity in that sense. There is the importance of making sure that the content that they watch, the music that they watch, all those things, is always oriented to the three things of the, of the, of the what do you call those? Um, Las Bellas Artes, the beautiful arts, like they call them in Spanish. Um, truth beauty, and goodness. Those three things should be there. If you fill their mind with this, you have that. Okay, I need to go faster. I should go a lot faster, actually, but one quick message here. Submit things to priests. Don't be afraid of that. I mean, a lot of times we don't do that because we kind of fear that the priest is always going to tell us no, which is quite probably the case most of the times. But the thing is also, you have to understand the priest is not infallible. You know, if you submit most movies to me, I'll be like, what is this? Get out of my purse. No, uh, <laughs> no but I'll, I'll say, well, no, I wouldn't recommend this. Does that mean that, you, that it's a sin if you watch it? Not necessarily, depending on the movie. But the point to be made is submit the things to the priest, let, your, let him give you your judgment, and then you're guilty for whatever you do. You know, you're, you're be responsible to God. But it's not like it's infallible. You know, if a priest tells you that, yeah, that's not a good movie, that doesn't mean that he's the Pope and you'll be excommunicated. Your judgment also is good, that you should also maybe consult with other priests. Now, if all the priests tell you this is a bad movie and you shouldn't watch it, then, yeah, don't watch it. But it's a good idea to submit things to the priests. Okay. Um, as I said, I'll try to be... This is going to be for several talks. I think we're going to have to do several talks on all this topic. Let's cover this one really quickly. Memory. You gotta teach your child also to exercise his memory. This is also lost by the use of technology. I myself have seen the loss in myself. 
how many of you know the phone number of your parents or of your sisters or of your friends? It's like you don't know these things anymore. It's not a big problem to not know the phone numbers of these people, but for your children it's a big problem to not know how, they use, how to use their memory. Because they don't have what you had, the 10 or 15 years that you had of training for that. They haven't had it at all. So in the part of the education that you have to deal with, the part of the education that you can do with your children, it's very important that you exercise the memory. How can you do this? Who can give me ideas of how to exercise the memory of your children? Poems. Poems, yes, I just did that. That's cheating because I just did that. <laughs> Games. Games, yeah. Any other idea? Just make them memorize stuff, right? For example, prayers. They can start memorizing prayers. Poems is a very good one, and, and that actually covers something that I am trying to get with the students right now, expression. If you talk to most teenager, teenagers right now, and I, I myself, I'm guilty of it, you know, they're used to having their phone, their hands like this, so they always talk with their hands almost like a T-Rex, <laughs> and, and the head down, and, and, and went like this, and they barely open their mouths, and that's a problem too. You as a parent, you have to teach them, open your mouth, express yourself, move your hands, and poems are a really good thing for that. I remember that was done in my school. When I was in elementary school, I had to memorize like a page-long poem and recite the poem, moving my hands and all that stuff. And you see how good of a preacher I turned out. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, man, I'm going to be punished for that. <laughs> but this is something, again, the school only has so much power. You have to also do it with your children. Memory. That's, that's memory. This is... This is great. This is a big part of it. Reasoning and focus. What do I mean by that? Most of us, also with this problem of technology, have, the, have lost the ability to focus our mind and to come up with clear reasoning. How do I say that? Say, for example, if you want to make mental prayer for 30 minutes, within three minutes you're off the rails. That happens because we have been raised in such a way that we're not used to meditate. We're not used to focus our mind into something. They, there is an exercise that the Jesuits did. They would have you put your, your finger and make a, the figure of an eight. And they would say, you have to do this for, I don't know, three minutes, five minutes. And keep your mind focused on the point. And not, not think of anything else. Don't start thinking of anything else. Just focus on the point. And that was how they started training people to actually focus on something. Because what happens is after a couple of minutes, you start thinking of other stuff. Or you start thinking, this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, but that's kind of how you start learning to focus. You have to train your child to do that. And the first step is to take technology away. If you don't take the technology away, they will never learn to concentrate and to focus. That's important because that, you're, you need that to pray. You know, uh, you might be thinking, what, what does this have to do with religion? I don't know myself. But you actually need that to pray. You need to focus. But most importantly, you need it to defend your faith. And that's the part that I want to touch on this. Your child should be able to come up with a reasoning and to, uh, to break it and understand it. And so, for example, something that I try to do every now and then in the classes is that, say, okay, you explain with your own words this. 
And when you're having those adult conversations with your children, you talk to them and everything, and they say, how would you explain this? How would you defend this part? You know, if a friend comes to you and says, well, I want to have an abortion, uh, how would you tell them that's wrong? You'll be surprised. A lot of times they don't know how to explain it. And that's where you need to train them in that. You need to train them on how to come up with a true reasoning. This is why, and I know that I don't have to convince you of this, but this is why when it comes to school, it's very important to have comprehension reading, to actually teach them to understand what they're saying and reading, and math. I don't know if any of you homeschool here. I, I know some of you do, actually. Math is incredibly important for that, especially algebra and all those things. Most of the times we were like, oh, I don't want to touch algebra. But it's actually incredibly important because algebra teaches your brain to work logically and to take conclusions from, from principles that you already know. That's the use of algebra. It's not that all your children are going to become programmers or, or chemists. Or, or chemists? Chemists? Thank you. Right on the live stream. Great. <laughs> <laughs> or anything like that. It means it's necessary for them to learn how to reason. So trying to make it short. And that's how they learn also to explain their faith. Okay. Before I go into the last point, here we come to something very important. Good books. Here in school, I can't force the children to read because I have to explain stuff to them. So I can't force them to read during school. They have to read at home. And this is a part that I must say, I'm not sure here, I, I wouldn't say here, of course. Neither, none of my listeners neither have this problem. But I have seen the problem that in, in a lot of houses, they don't force reading on children, or rather they don't make them read. Reading is absolutely necessary, absolutely necessary. You cannot form your intellect, you cannot form your criteria if you don't know how to read. It teaches you how to express yourself, it teaches you how to put in practice your imagination, it teaches you proper English, which is, please. So it's absolutely necessary that they read. And please, don't give them the, the Mass and the Sacraments, because we give them that here. That's for classes. That's good. You can read them. You can teach them that. But no, give them a book about, uh, what's the name of that one? Jules Verne, From the Earth to the Moon, or Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues. You know, those books are great. They're awesome. They're very fun to read. And give it to your child first as a chore. Okay, I want to see you here sitting down and reading so many pages of this, and then at the end ask him, what did you read? That's exercise, it's just like working out. And little by little, he'll get into the, the custom of reading by themselves. I was an avid reader when I was younger. That didn't come for free. My parents were making sure that I would have something to read. And, and there you have to have a good collection of books, fun books, books that are appealing to them, and you want to teach them how to read daily. Once they're older, then they read something fun, and they read something good and beneficial. Just a little bit every day. Whatever you want, but read something good. Any questions so far? We're almost done, I promise. Uh, next time I'll give you more time for coffee, too. Um, OK, just a really brief parenthesis. Working out is also important, but that has nothing to do with this. But I just remembered it's a good idea to have your children, whoever they might be, girls or men, but do something physical, too. For girls, it's not that necessary for many days. But the last point, 
The last point is the one I erased. <laughs> and it's what I call emotional intelligence. What that means is to teach your child to lead themselves by reason and not by emotions. Um, you find adults nowadays, I mean, all of us have that defect to one degree or another, but you find many, many adults that their emotions are just take, take them over. And the reason might be talking entirely against it, but their emotions are just like, ooh, ooh, they take them back, back here and there. And that, that training begins from the very, very early childhood. It begins when you tell your child, don't cry, it's not gonna get you what you want. You can cry as much as you want, go to your room, cry, lock the door, and you're just, you know, here, as they say, chilling out, and the child is like, did I tell you the story about my niece? My niece, my sister, you know, my niece had lungs. She has, has good lungs. <laughs> and she was the first child of all the, she was the first grandchild. And my sister would literally do that. It's like, okay, you're going to cry. Here's the room. Boom, go in there. Cry as much as you want. We would be in the kitchen having breakfast for an hour. <laughs> and you would hear there. I'm not exaggerating. It went for 40 minutes to an hour. She was, because she was very strong-willed, too. And we were like, oh, you, should, you shouldn't, you know, do something. No, no, she can cry as much as she wants. She's not going to get what she wants. And it stopped. It stopped because, you know, I mean, your lungs will only take so much. <laughs> so it begins at that moment when you start teaching your children that, and then when they're older and you teach them that they don't only always get what they want, and then when they're teenagers and you teach them that their emotions are not going to get the best of you. And even if they're angry, they won't get it. We've covered that before. But the point to be made here is this. The first thing that you need to do is distinguish between reason and feelings. Because a lot of times, especially for, no offense, but especially for women, this can be hard. To distinguish between your emotions and your reason. Because, for example, give you a very clear example. Your emotions might say, I hate this person. Right? I don't like this person at all. It's like, oh, you know. There are cases when someone walks into the room and you're just like, oh, I already want to throw up. <laughs> you don't think about it, maybe. You shouldn't think about it. But you feel like that. But those are just emotions. Your reason, what does it say? I still need to be nice to this person. And you turn on and you put your best fake smile. <laughs> and you might, here's the thing, you might feel, well, I'm a hypocrite because, I, no, 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 you're not a hypocrite. You are dealing with the reason. And that's perfectly fine and truthful. You're working with your reason. Your emotions don't matter that much. Your reason does. And that's what you teach your children. You know, yes, you should, you should still do your duty, even if you don't feel like it, because your emotions are not the best part. So the first part is distinguish. The second part is overcome. to overcome your emotions with your feelings. And for this, I'll tell you practically, and this is the end of the talk, mostly, what you need to do for your child. The first thing is obedience. I've said this before. 
every time that you make your child obey, regardless of how they feel, they are learning to do this. Okay? I don't want to go out and take out the trash. It's cold. My feet are freezing. You know, I went yesterday. Mom, please don't let me go. Is it your duty? Yes. Then go out. You know, you feel like that. Yes, you feel like that. But what does your mind tell you? Does, is your duty or not? Yes. Then your mind is saying that it's your duty. It doesn't matter how you feel. You do what your mind is telling you to do. And they go out. And that, that just there built a lot in your child that you don't know. So obedience. I don't need to tell you that. We've talked about it. The other one is, this is going to sound very ugly. And it's the end. Mortify your child. This is pure Christianity here, pure Catholicism. You'll never hear this anywhere else, in nowhere else. Mortify your child. What does that mean? Make them practice little virtues, even if they don't have to. Be prudent. I'm not saying that you're going to tell your child, like, go and scourge yourself right now and put yourself in the cold swamp over there and, you know, pray five rosaries with your hands stretched. No, leave that for the men's group. We're going to, we're going to do that at some point. Uh, but you should mortify your child in little things here and there. Say, uh, they don't get that toy that they wanted. Or, you know, they get it. And then you purposely say, give that toy to your brother or to your sister. <gasps> but mom, this is my favorite toy. You can do it. Give it to your brother and sister. And don't feel bad about it. I mean, I know that at times, especially, you know, you'll see them like cry and their puppy eyes and everything. Don't do it all the time. I mean, you want to have your child be happy. But every now and then, plan to yourself. I'm going to mortify them. I'm going to make them practice this virtue, that virtue. Say that the children had a fight. And you know that this one's right and this one is wrong. It's not a big deal in the fight. But you know that this one needs humility. So you say, you know what? Come talk to me outside over here. You know that you're right. But you need to be humble too. Sometimes you just need to yield to other people. So I want you to go and tell your brother or your sister, you know what, you can have it. I'm not going to fight anymore. But mom, it's my fault and whatever. Remember what our Lord did. Our Lord had to suffer. It wasn't his fault. But that's what we do. I want you to, very important, always bring it to positive. I want you to learn this. I want you to grow in this virtue. I want you to be like the saints. And I'm not going to yield in that. I want you to do it. And you make them practice virtue like that. Mortification in little things, in food, in place, in games, in time to go to sleep, in uh, prayer, all these kinds of stuff. And this, because it's directly against their emotions, gives them that emotional intelligence. To finalize this point, when you have teenagers, this is very important when it comes, for example, to depression. Every teenager goes through some phase of depression. The worst thing that you can do is let them, uh, how do you say that? Wallow. 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 Thank you. You read my mind. Wallow in the mire, so to speak. Uh, what's the mire? <laughs> okay, okay. Then I had the right idea. That's the worst thing you can do. If your child is oppressed, here I, I, I will say you have to be very understanding and you have to train them to get out of it. Not in a rough way. In this one particular case, you don't go in there and you say, you get up right now and just smile and laugh. Come on, laugh harder. <laughs> no. no, because depression actually takes away your emotional strength. So the first thing that you need to tell them is, 
sit down with them. I remember this time I sat down with a person that was depressed. And this person was like in the bed and they were like, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it anymore. You know, I'm, I don't want to talk and everything. And I sat down with them and, okay, let's begin by, by sitting up. No, no, I don't want to sit down. And, come on, you can sit up, sit up and just give me a smile. No, 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 I can't, just leave me alone or whatever. Sit up and give, I stayed there for 40 minutes. I wasn't asking for anything else but sit up and smile, but in a very gentle way. Come on, you can do it, you can do it, you have the strength, you, you have to get out of this, I know that you can get out of it. Come on, try to get up a little bit and smile, try to get up, it's for you, good, whatever. And yes, you know, I know that you're sad, I know that there's reason to be sad, okay? That's good, no, nothing wrong with that, try to get up and smile a little bit. When this person, I finally, you know, I think she was like, okay, you know, I've had enough, you know, here I am, I sit up and smile. And the problem was gone. At that moment, the problem was gone. And at that moment, that person learned to overcome her depression, to not wallow in the mire. And so when you have a child that deals with that emotional intelligence, you have to help them little by little to overcome their feelings, to overcome their emotions. And be, I'll, I'll try to end with this. Be very patient about it. Don't expect immediate results. Sometimes you have to sit down for an hour and maybe several times a week or a month, and talk and talk and train. The point is not for you to convince them with words. The point is for you to convince them that they can do it. And once they acquire that emotional strength, if you get it, that's a huge, huge achievement. So to summarize, four things that we need to worry about the intellect of our child. Reasoning and focus. Teach them how to reason, how to make arguments. Memory. Teach them to memorize stuff. Imagination and species, be very careful with the stuff that they bring into their brain. And the fourth one, emotional intelligence. Any questions? No? Okay, I just went 15 minutes over. That will be all for today, and we can go ahead and say our prayers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. O Jesus, eternal word of the Father, thou hast said, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. We thank thee for allowing us to listen once more to the words of spiritual instruction. Assist us by thy grace carefully to preserve them, and devoutly to live according to their holy teaching, that we may thus become pleasing to thee in this world, and enjoy thee eternally in the next who with the Father and the Holy Ghost livest and reignest, one God, world without end. Amen. O Mary, Immaculate Virgin and Sorrowful Mother, intercede for our children with the divine heart of Jesus, thy Son, who refuses nothing to his mother. Holy Guardian Angels, St. Joachim, St. John, much beloved precursor of our Lord, St. Joseph, powerful patron, St. Augustine, Saint Anne, Mother of the Blessed Virgin, Saint Rose of Lima, Saint Monica, all ye holy fathers and mothers, pray for them and for us. All ye holy children, pray for them and for us. Amen. O God, who has given us some of the blessed in heaven as special patrons, grant in thy mercy that we and our children, through the merits of the same and of all the saints, may receive the help of which we stand in need, and practice the virtues taught us by their example. May we, O Lord, through the honor we pay them, become worthy of thy good pleasure and share in their powerful intercession 
Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for the absent, for the sick and suffering members of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Let us pray for the children of the members of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let us pray for the deceased members of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. Amen. Let us pray for the grace of a happy death for that member of the confraternity who will be next to die. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Amen. Let us pray for the intentions especially recommended to our prayers today. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let us pray for the intentions of all the members of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O sweet Lord Jesus Christ, for the love of thy most sacred heart, we beseech thee to have pity upon all whom we have recommended to thy mercy, and to aid them with thy grace, who livest and reignest with God the Father and the Holy Ghost forever and ever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without an end. Prayer for the children. Look, most holy mother of our Lord, upon the great number of children, who through the fault and negligence of their parents, stray in the path of iniquity and vice, have mercy on so many poor young souls, who might be saved but who will not, either because their mothers are ignorant of their duties or unwilling to fulfill them. Remember the bitter passion and cruel death endured by thy divine Son for those poor children. Permit not that his great love his infinite merits be lost to them. For the sake of that keenest of all sorts, that pierced thy head in their heart, when you stood at the foot of the cross, obtain for those erring mothers the grace of their vocation. Obtain likewise for their children the spirit of obedience and grateful love, that the desires of the sweet heart of Jesus may be fulfilled by both parents and children. Amen. Prayer for the Arch Confraternity. O glorious Queen of heaven and earth, Thou art the chosen patroness of all Christian mothers. Bless then the Arch Confraternity. May it spread far and wide. Obtain, we beseech Thee, that all mothers may seek protection in its bosom, and under its guidance become perfectly what Thou would have them and what they ought to be, truly Christian mothers, Thine images and worthy representatives with their children. O Thou most pure, most compassionate Mother of the Divine Saviour, and of all the children of the Heavenly Father who have been regenerated in the Holy Sacrament of Baptism. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O Mary, my mother, to thee do I flee. 
Thy heart is so gentle, so loving, so mild. O Mary, my mother, I am longing to see That heaven of glory, so purely thine own. Amen. If you kneel down, I will give you my blessing. Benedictio Deo omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Vicendat super vos et manet semper. Amen. Thank you very much and thank you for your patience. Mm-hmm. The members of the confraternity, does that mean just this group or across the country, across the world? What does that mean? That's across the world. Across the world. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Thank you. So we, not, so we might not know the next person who dies. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Catholic Wire. If you have found this show helpful, please say a prayer for all our collaborators. Don't forget to subscribe to our channels and share with your friends. For questions and comments, you may contact us at thecatholicwire.org.